Welcome to Second Rail. I'm John Heinz. I've been away for a while. I'm back, and I have a fascinating interview to share today. A friend named Will Scott has written a book. And before he wrote the book, he was already somebody I'd wanted to have on the podcast. And I think you'll find my interview with him very interesting. His book is about building a positive culture. From my perspective, working primarily in the nonprofit and even more frequently or for a longer time in government, I find that a lot of what he talks about, about um, letting people go, is pretty anathema to people in the public sector, especially people in union jobs or jobs like education that are kind of super stable and where people just don't disappear very much. And yet, when I talk to Will... I come away feeling like he's really laying the groundwork for building a culture where people can be, and I've heard this a lot lately, and even in the public sector and in unionized places, coached out of a job. And in some ways, it's not a fun thing to talk about, but when you're getting into culture, it's pretty unavoidable. And that's why this conversation with Will is so satisfying. Will's book and his and the the conversation that I have with him both lead people to see that culture is at the crossroads of systems and ideas and people. He does a really good job of explaining in the book how you as a person can build a culture at an organization. He, he primarily focuses on CEOs, but he, he offers up things that we can all use in building culture in our workplaces. So without further ado, I bring you Will Scott. Okay, here we are. Well, I am here today with Will Scott, and um, I wanted to um, uh, author of the Culture Fix, who I've uh, that I've talked about prior on a prior episode, uh, introduced. Although you, Will, I might not have even told you exactly what I did, but but uh, we'll we'll get into that. I, I want to uh, welcome <laughs> you to the podcast. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Well, I have to start with before I, I usually like to start by just asking, asking a little bit about background. So I know you've had probably one of the most fascinating backgrounds of anybody I've uh, spoken <laughs> with. So give me a little uh, give us a, give us the Twitter feed version of or longer version of your uh, your history. Gosh, I haven't told this story in a while. I'll try and keep it short. Um, yeah, no, I think a lot of people ask me, where are you from? You know, and I say Zambia and people say, I get two responses either. Where's that? Or, oh, I've never met anybody from Zambia before. So, uh, yes, born and raised in Zambia, uh, which is a landlocked country in South Central Africa. For those oh, that don't no, know. Oh, no, you have to do that. You have to do that. You're in America. You have to do that. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I'm speaking from experience. Um and uh, yes, actually, so from there at the age of 11, I was sent to boarding school in Dublin, Ireland. And from there, I was uh, either traveling to France for my vacations, where my father had a small holding in the, in, in the Dordogne in the south of France, uh, or to Colombia, where he had a project where she was working on uh, in the Andes. And at some point, I graduated from high school in Dublin, went to England for to do my first degree at the university there. And then after working there for a few years, John, I was actually in the, uh, in the chemical industry, uh, especially um, in the agricultural industry there. And then I came to the States through my MBA in the 90s. That's what first brought me to North America. Uh, 
I went to USC in Los Angeles, and uh, so now I'm a yeah I'm a big Trojan football fan now. And, nice. Yes. And then you got, to, and then you, and then you were somehow you forced your way to the frozen tundra of Chicago. How did that? Well, happen? I, well, I got hired. I, 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 amazingly, somebody wrote to me um, and said, you know, would I be interested in working for them? It was a small industrial company in uh, in Chicago land. So that brought me here, and uh, my family's basically raised here in Chicago. And uh, I started my first company here in 1999. And that is now in its 20th year, obviously. That's a supply chain software company. Uh, I then got into the mobile app development business in 2010 and exited that in 2016. And I'm currently, as I'm sure you're going to get into with your with subsequent questions, John, now I am active with my consulting firm, which is uh, helps people go from simply having core values to truly having a valued culture. And in that, I'm working mostly with corporations uh, in the size so, of five million to fifty million dollars. So there were there were in 1999 there were uh, supply chain software companies. Wow. That's that in itself is a fascinating. I can't well, imagine actually, the, the changes that survived. <laughs> well, I they actually, they actually go date well before that. People like Toyota, you know, pioneered the space um, a long, you know, decades ago. But no, you're right. In the '90s was an interesting time because uh, even though we're SaaS today, software as a service uh -huh. today, you know, in the '90s, just that was the sort of evolution of the internet and. Uh, so our first iteration was not exactly SaaS, but uh, yeah, we were pretty pioneering in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, after reading your book, I mean, I, I, you know, I have the privilege of knowing you outside of the book, but after reading your book, the, the kind of enthusiasm and energy and optimism for life that you have in regular life comes so across in the book. Oh, I'm and glad about that. I guess, I, I guess it's a starting point. That's kind of what I want to talk about. Like, what led you to write a book about culture? I mean, was it the, was it the fact that you've lived at the crossroads of so many cultures or is it, is it, is it something, hmm. uh, is, it, is it from your experience at work? Yeah, well, it's first I'd like to respond to what you said about seeing my enthusiasm for life come through in the book. I'm really happy about that. Uh, one of the core values that I elected to have or that we elected to have at Culture Czars, my current company, is exuberance. And it's kind of, uh, yeah, and Churchill is our model for that exuberance. Uh, and I talk about that, you know, in, in the book. But I'm, so I'm glad it comes through. Definitely feel like I'm exuberant. I do love life. I've been very blessed and I feel I've got a lot more to give. And one of the ways I want to give it is through helping corporations with their culture. I think it is so vitally important, not only to course to the success and productivity in the company. You know, John Gallup does a poll every year and the majority of employees are still disengaged, meaning they are... Mm -hmm really there for a paycheck. They're not really there because they care and love it and are giving of their best while they're there. So I just believe if we can turn the dial a little bit and have more people loving where they work and why they work and enjoying who they're working with, then you know they're going to enjoy those eight hours of the day that they spend at work a lot more and everyone's going to benefit. So that's part of that, that's well, part so, of so, where that sort of passion comes from is is here's my opportunity to actually make a, a difference, which is something we all want to do. Yeah, yeah. But why a book? Why a book specifically? Well, 
how else to get a message across to a wider audience? You know, I do speak, I do blog about this subject. Uh, clients, of course, hire me and I go and I do my work on site. But the book is just a tremendous way to get the, my message out to a much wider audience. And there's so many great stories. You know, mm -hmm. books are to tell stories. The book tells a lot of great stories Definitely. about the before and after for companies who did implement my nine deeds in 90 days and had this tremendous upward tick in all the major measurements in their corporation um and it's also been a, yeah. perfect, a personal experience john I, I had the experience soon after graduating from uh from college which as i mentioned earlier i did in england and the first thing i did is i i got opportunity to work on a couple of farms uh on the way to my agricultural degree farms, wow. and the first farm i worked on great culture uh, great satisfaction, high standards, you know, loyal workers that showed up and cared for the animals and, and everything they were doing. Fast uh -huh. forward 12 months, I find myself working on a different farm with the opposite of all the things I just said. I'll sum it up as having a uh -huh. poor culture. And that's when I uh -huh. vowed that I'm going to this, you know, I, I could see the good and the bad, and I knew how important it was and what a difference it made. And that's when I said, in my own companies, I'm going to lead with that culture and care about how people feel when they're working with and for me. And, uh, you know, other entrepreneurs saw what I was doing with my first two companies and said, hey, come and help me at my company, can you will? And that's how I got into this. Yeah, so so let's start with the big picture. With, the, with that in mind, with the big picture of, you know, the, the way that you are in many ways in the book kind of going against the stereotype of, you know, business and business competition being Machiavellian, hard-hitting, serious, mm -hmm. aggressive, and, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, of course, add straight and male, usually. <laughs> yes. uh, but, you know, like this, all these kind of, all these kind of very, all these stereotypes we have about what business is, and you go right up to that and kind of go in the other direction. And you're like, you know, you talk about fun, being playful, being balanced, enjoying what you're doing. I, I mean, you've definitely Definitely, you must have met people who have, you know, expected you to be the, you know, the stereotypical badass, tough as razors boss. How, how did you, how do you respond to that, or how do you take that in and yet come out with this, uh, this, this? Yes, uh, I, I, I love it. It is a great space to be in, and I, I do like pushing those hard-nosed CEOs like you're talking about, you know, to start talking about feelings. And uh, it's pretty easy, actually, to, to get people <laughs> yeah. to see it. And, you know, if I, if I have a CEO like that, I say, hey, who's hosting your next offsite where you're going to be strategizing, you know, um, your, your game, your, your, your playbook for the next year or next 90 days, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And let me come along and facilitate mm -hmm. that for you. And I'm going to put into that agenda something that we call team health, something where we get people to share 5% of their, of their lives, share something that's personal and meaningful, share a high and a low from when they were under 12 years old. And what happens? People start talking about how those experiences made them feel. And then there's some emotion in the room. And that is when, and even the hard charging CEO <laughs> um, starts to get it and starts to feel, wow. Wow, that was my favorite part of the day, Will, is what I'm used to hearing when I saw the human side of my people for the first time. And then I say to them, okay, next time you go into the office tomorrow, presumably, don't just say, 
hey, Joe, how are you today? Say, hey, Joe, how do you feel today? And you will get a much more meaningful answer and your people will start to love you for the care mm-hmm. that's coming through. And yeah, so that's kind of how I get to turn around some of those guys, as well as, of course, as point to great leaders who are doing this and showing the results that they are having. Well, give me some of those. Give me, give me, a, give me some of those. Give me one of those stories or turnaround stories, because I mean, I this this uh, your your focus on core values and about changing mm-hmm. them to, or at least focusing on them in a way that gets, uh, you know, gets to these positive outcomes. Really, probably is is probably something that 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 is part of that pro that 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 comes first for some people and maybe comes second for others. I mean, I you know, I I, I remember all throughout your book, you're quoting Robert <laughs> yes. Burns, and I thought that was both. Great and funny because in my head, as a former English teacher, you know, Robert Burns is like, he's not exactly like Mr. Joyful establish, you know, like establishment go-go guy. I mean, he's a bit of a, you know, confrontational, in-your-face, kind of direct, blunt speaking Scotsman, right? And he uh and and yet you're all, yes. he's all over you. So I, I'm curious about how you know well, how you yeah, I think there's that. actually two parts to your question there. But starting with Robert Burns, I mean, yes, he was those things, John, but he was also you know, as called, as he's nicknamed the plowman poet, he also represented the common working man and the and values of things like mm-hmm. equality. He cared about equality between the sexes and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, th- way before people were talking about that. So he does have genuinely, um, you know, earthy values that I love to embrace. As well, of course, he, he's, he's a tremendous artist. And by the way, I do encourage, you know, as you've seen in the book too, bringing the culture alive with graphics and bringing the arts to the space, bringing bringing musical oh, yeah. themes that help represent your culture into the space as well. Yeah, well, yeah, and, go ahead. Yeah, well, I know to the other part of your question where you were asking about, um, you know, the, the sort of what, what are some of the great examples? And there's some great ones in, in, in the book, but they're not necessarily household names. So let me quote a couple of others. Um, Herb Kelleher of Southwest Airlines, who's put the whole, I mean, the whole Southwest Airlines thing is a heart, it's love, and they live that culture internally, you know, by helping each other out, employees in need, um, they help each other out. I think there's a great example of, of a leader leading with feelings and care and the company and its performance shows through to everybody that flies on that airline and to their success as a business. Another example you might like to refer to is Richard Branson um, and, and the Virgin Empire, where he also was a different kind of leader that um, you know put people first in a, in a genuine yeah, way. Yeah, you talk about you talk about that um, that that idea of championing culture, celebrating culture, and, and to and I can see that in those personalities for sure. I I also. Uh, but I guess I'm wondering, I mean, it feels in a way a little bit like maybe I'm too entrenched in the U.S. political scene right now, but I feel it's a little bit like what politicians do almost. They're almost like campaigning for an idea or kind of getting it out there and really emphasizing it by uh, approaching it almost as a marketing strategy, raising awareness. How, how I, I didn't get from the book and I, I've wondered about this, how much how important is that championing like relative to the other things and how much have you seen that that is that's like a central part of pulling it off well you know i think some politicians may may talk about it john but uh i haven't got a lot of examples where i see politicians 
talking about values and then living those values so that in, in, in a truly, um, you know, in, integral way. Uh, it's my dream that that I will get asked one day by whoever's sitting in the White House to come and help bring real values to the organization that he's it. leading, I love <laughs> he it. or she is leading, and 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 living those and taking those to the people. And by the way, we don't have to look far. We just have to go back to our constitution, which quite clearly lays out values, values to which, you know, how would we coexist as a nation uh, if we didn't have the constitution as a set of values to, you know, which is our true north or our compass. So... Yeah, I, th that's kind of how I feel about politics without getting yeah, political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 it's true. It's it's it's, it's funny. It's a uh, it's a it's an incredibly uh, it's a good way to think about it. But it, there that it's more uh, that getting the that championing is something. It's it's uh, it really requires living your core values. Which, to be honest, when I read the book, I found myself going back to the beginning at the end because the beginning where it's all about living your core values is actually really unquestionably the most challenging part of the, it seems to me, because everything after that, like, it's like, it seems to, it could, it seems, fall into place. Is that what you're finding that, like, the, the heavy lifting for most people is actually getting to the point of living their core values? Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I think one of the great things about uh, one of the deeds, you know, in the nine deeds in 90 days, John, is, is having reward systems or programs that like to catch people committing mm -hmm. core values and reinforcing the values and telling those stories as a way of reinforcing those values such that they become folklore and people know what we mean when we say you know something like teamwork uh, you know what do we mean by that well it's 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 hopefully established with some behavioral descriptions but also with with stories and so those are now allow you know, colleagues within a workspace to lift up people who are demonstrating the core values. But it also allows for people to respectfully, because they're right there on the wall and we all agree to it, to call out folks when they are not conforming to those core values. So yes, do, so, do we fall off the wagon? Right. We do, but um, just like you can challenge, you know, aspects of the of of our, you know, national constitution. Uh, um, yes, those we do fall off the wagon, but we can be gently put back on the wagon with a nudge that says, "Hey, Will, was that response that you just gave me? You know, did that feel like that didn't feel like to me like you were treating me as an equal? You know, and I remember one of our core values is equality." So, so I think that's again. It just it just helps. Your question just helps demonstrate the value yeah. of values. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's th let's drill down a little bit of that more when people fall off the wagon. Because I love your phrase and I uh, unhiring, which I heard I heard you on on the radio mm -hmm. program on a radio program being asked about it, and I and I liked your response that you know even though it might be a euphemism, it's it's really a critical part of of kind of improving culture. So, and I also remember you you including you know the quote in your book that that. You know, you're only as good as your worst employee, and you know, I guess in my experience, yeah. uh, that that that's a real. I, I agree with that. It's really been a challenge in most of my life's work, which has been in the public sector, 
where, you know, I mean, quite frankly, I was in a highly unionized place where I was, you know, having really difficult conversations with uh, usually people who were just there to advocate. And it was about it was about the fight mm -hmm. uh, of, of culture. And I guess mm. I guess it was as I was reading at first, I was thinking I was like, oh, well, Will was lucky. He hasn't um, had those kind of challenging, difficult conversations. And then as I read more, I was like, oh, no, it's the opposite that you you kind of did have. You, you you have had them, but you've kind of been you you approach them in a really different way. Can you can you talk a little bit more about how you achieve that balance of 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 culture of of keeping people on the cusp and of you know unhiring when it's needed? How how do you how does a good leader find that balance? Yes, uh, but by the way, uh, that's an area I've not worked in yet. Is is the unionized area, and it is an interesting one, John. I think it's a little. Uh, different perhaps in, in, in how we in how you might approach that but I do know companies uh, actually I was just talking to one the other day uh, from the Detroit area in the automotive business who has a lot of employees mm -hmm. who are unionized mm -hmm. um, but he is still leading with culture first and he still swears by the fact that when he leads with culture um, then he you know everything else is is better mm -hmm. so so to the unhiring part yes I I I, I choose the word on hiring because I like to think that there should be some ownership in the responsibility with the CEO or the hiring manager too. Mm -hmm. And the word fire sounds like it's the employee's fault. And maybe sometimes it is. But unhiring sounds to me like, okay, I hired you. I'm having to unhire you. Uh, as your hiring manager, because perhaps I also made a mistake. And there are ways to get more uh, diligent about the hiring so that we don't make those kind of mistakes and don't mess with people's lives. So, but there are times when you do need to unhire. And in my experience, if you have got a, just a really poor culture fit, mm -hmm. it's usually something that's hardwired to that individual. They're not going to be changed and, and they can't really be trained. And therefore, they do need to be unhired. And when a company makes that difficult decision, everybody usually breathes a sigh of relief and, and it feels much better. And then you hire someone that does fit the culture instead and you have just made a huge bold step towards improving your culture and having truly having an environment where people like who they're working with and, and where they're working. So are they, have you seen um, the, the, the types of companies that, that you, that this has worked with the best been the types of companies that are kind of on the upswing or is, is this, does this, does the, does the cultural change uh, the, and, and improvement work for, for companies that maybe are more moribund um, and, or, or are struggling in some other ways? Mm -hmm. I, I guess I'm kind of wondering how yeah. much you know how how much this uh you know how because because it seems to be obvious that you know in a in a culture in a in an organization that's maybe struggling it's you know it's not only you've you've literally got the hard numbers you're dealing with as well that are going down so i'm curious what you know about about uh, how you what your experience has been with those companies on that end of the spectrum yes yes i i mean i think ultimately um, you know, everything take, takes an effort, doesn't it? And um, I like to talk to John about return on investment. And one of the great things about culture is, 
you can make a relatively low investment. It really just takes some time and energy to define and then to retain your culture. And the upside can be really, really huge in terms of loyalty and uh, employees, you know, putting in longer hours for you and employees uh, bringing other great teammates via referral to your organization, uh, as well as, of course, caring about your client, caring about your customers. And all of that leads to a high return, which when you put it with a low investment, of course, leads to a very high return on investment. So culture is really, uh, you know, and, and there's, in my own podcast series, John, you, and you've listened to some, uh, there's a common theme there amongst CEOs who are succeeding and they are doing it by putting culture first. Now, to your question about, you know, this, I think one big thing is the size of the company. It's much easier to change the culture quickly with a small organization. That's for sure. And that tends to be where I do most of my work. Imagine these very large, you know, Fortune 500 companies, clearly very hard to change culture and change it quickly there. Um, the, the way that uh, the fastest way to change culture in a small company is to change the people that are not working with the culture. Right. And that is something that's manageable in a small company, which, you know, you just don't get that the chance to do that in, in very large companies. So my, uh, so, so uh, you mentioned, I just, I, I meant to bring this up a moment ago when you mentioned it and I forgot, but you're, you mentioned the, uh, the graphics, your, your, how you're into the visuals and the graphics and the rep mm -hmm. and the character representations. And there's no question that Danny deliver is my favorite superhero. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I'm just curious about, um, I'm, I'm so curious about how, where, you know, the kind of, I don't know, some, some stories that maybe go with, uh, you know, positive, uh, positive experiences that companies have had in went, went by, um, you know, kind of giving a character, a human characterization or an anthropomorphic view of a, of a, of a, of a core value. Yes. So you're referring to the core values that we had at Lextech. And um, one of our core values there was deliver success. And we did have some other words that, or descriptive behaviors, as I call them, describes what we mean, uh, what I meant at Lextech, the mobile app development company, by deliver success. Lextech was also a, uh, you know, uh, an app development company. So we had a lot of techie guys there that, that liked comics and, and superhero movies. Ah. So it made sense for our culture. And our, we had our own internal design department. So we didn't even outsource that. Oh, wow. It was our, we had kind of this momentum internally of our guys who were just loving where we were going with our core values and our culture and started just designing um, the characters to go with them. And so, yeah, we personified the value, as you just described, you said it was your favorite was Danny Deliver. And so, yeah, we could just, it, it, in a, we could sum up a whole value, values methodology just by saying, hey, dude, you know, that's not something Danny Deliver would do. And that just, that's all you need to say. <laughs> and, uh, and the guy got yeah. it, you know. So, yeah. Uh, but yes, it's also more memorable. I think, John, you've just demonstrated that you remember that core value more as a result of it being personified. And no you question. could probably imagine the little little UPS guy we had with the cheetah demonstrating, <laughs> yeah, you know, Danny deliver, deliver fast, deliver success. So, yes, I do believe in, again, using visuals. And remember that uh, we remember far more of what we see than what we simply hear. If you put words with graphics, we remember 
vastly more than if it's simply words. So again, there's lots of good reasons for taking your core value words and making sure that they are coming alive with uh, graphics such that they are, you know, you're such an organization, so, so they're thriving yeah. and your whole organization right, yeah. can be driven forward in the direction that you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. That's great. So another, so that was that that was the one I the one you mentioned. The one that I loved in the book. That the highlight for me was um, that one of the when you recommended the Corval address, and I, I you didn't give any kind of full examples. I mean, you talked you talked about a few, but you didn't give any full examples of that. I'm curious what like what was a particularly successful Corval address, and 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 why is that a a, a strong component of the fix? Yes, well, actually, you're right. They weren't they weren't hard to they, they weren't easy to sort of relay in the book. But at my website, right. culturesars.com, John, you can go and see some videos there of me demonstrating what I mean by a core values address, which is really just a, a bit like you know uh, a, a speech around the core values. And it's really important that the leaders of an organization can can do that and have practiced that. And you have lots of opportunities to deliver that speech, certainly when you onboard a new employee or new employees. If you are talking to stakeholders or investors or a major new partner, a customer, a supplier, these are all deserving of knowing what your culture is. And the best way to, to deliver that is through a speech in front of your Corval's poster where um, people are going to mm. get now, they're now getting the image, they're getting the words, and they're getting you live delivering it. And it's really going to help mm. them understand what kind of an organization you are and what standards you have and what your expectations are in working with them. So, yeah, the Corval's address is a very important part of your culture and also don't be afraid to repeat that you know it's not just a, a once a year thing or or a once a, a, a once you know when you hire a new employee it is mm -hmm. needs to be repeated they say at least seven times right before you actually remember it so i think at yeah, annual yeah, addresses yeah. at quarterly events at the launch of new products or new office locations any opportunity like that Give the Corval's address. So, have you seen any when you're when you're when you're d d looking at all these core values? And after you've you know at this point probably seen more than more than anyone. What what have you seen in terms of particularly indicators of maybe of of a toxic culture? Because you talk yeah. about toxicity a lot and and, mm. and, the, and the harms of it. And I'm curious about like how. Um, you know how people overcome their 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 reticence, maybe their their reticence to enliven their core values because they're you know submersed in some kind of toxicity. Like, what have you seen in terms of uh, core values that maybe indicate that, or maybe maybe or maybe there are even just opportunities for for improvement? Yes, there. Toxic cultures. I mean, just the very word make, makes you squirm, doesn't it? it and, and imagine working in one eight hours a day yeah, and sitting there eight sure. hours a day. And I can just see people in toxic culture, they have that charge in their body all day sitting there. You know, wondering what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. What's that person going to say to them? You know, <laughs> and very unhealthy, I think. And, and why spend so much of our lives there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, leaders, I believe, do have responsibility to turn around a toxic culture. And again, one way that that may need to be done is by unhiring those folks that are causing the toxicity if they can't be, be brought around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've even been asked to help CEOs 
or of entrepreneurs who've started their own company. And when they get to the door of their office in the morning, they hesitate because, <laughs> because they don't, you know, they don't like mm. the feeling in their own company anymore. Yeah. So, uh, that's, wow. that's, that's one. Wow. Yeah. Right. Right. That's so, powerful. uh, and you know, again, the nine deeds will help if anyone's feeling that pick up the book, start working through those nine deeds, you're going to have to unhire some folks and that's, that's going to take, you know, to, and you can use, by the way, the core values to make that conversation, that unhiring conversation a lot easier. Uh, just like we might refer to the constitution in a courtroom, refer to our core values when you're going through that unhiring uh, conversation and it will be a lot easier discussion that individual will probably start to realize yeah you're right you know i don't really belong here well as i was as i was as i was reading those that that process of of defining uh core values and then applying them to the team it, it seemed to me like the the kind of the elephant in the parlor was that that getting your core values down and having that being part of your hiring process and that that fit analysis that you discuss in the book seems is is more crucial than ever because if you get if you bring the right people if you if you do the work on the front end you avoid having to do the, the maybe the negative work on the back end that isn't as fun because that's it's it's uh, you know as much as you know as much as unhiring is a reality it also uh, you know it's not it's it is it is not a, it's rarely a fun, a fun process. That, that, that's absolutely right, John. Yeah, that's very well said. But, I, but let, me, let me ask you about the exercises in the book, because I'm a little bit, I, I found the exercises fascinating. And, um, you know, I actually started the book not doing them. And then after a while, I was like, wait a minute, I kind of like this. And I went back and I did them in earnest. And it didn't take as long as I thought it was. So I was kind of liking it. But um, I guess I'm wondering, uh, I'm wondering, you know, how you decided to include those exercises, and 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 what if if that has been, if you find that for the majority of people who are using uh, the book are finding the exercises as valuable as I did. You know, I, I I like that question, and it is interesting. You know, why did I end up putting those in 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 the book? And the answer is that the the pretext to that text was the workbook. So the evolution for me in doing this was, first of all, I just started doing this in my own companies and it kind of came naturally to me, but also I enjoyed what I was getting back because the employees started just embrace it and ran with it. And the example we talked about before at, at LexTech, you know, the employees started coming forward with it. It wasn't from me directly anymore. It was the energy was coming from them around embracing the culture and, and the, you know, the benefits they were seeing. So I was thinking of my own companies. And next I got asked to sort of help some friends who also had businesses and they liked the mojo that we had. And they wondered if, you know, if they could have improve on it by, by being deliberate and working on their culture. So I would help them. And then I started speaking about it. And then I got the opportunity to do workshops. And so it was as you to have the workbook and that's where the first nine deeds came up. And so the first iteration of the culture fix which is the title of the book, was simply a, I can't remember, like a 20-page, you know, uh, workbook that uh, people, ah. and all it was was work sections. So <laughs> I get so, it. So then when I said- That explains <laughs> why it was so predominant in my head. That explain, it, 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 right. Now that you're explaining that history, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, so then it became time for the book, you know, um, as we do. Right. And so the starting point right. was, was the workbook. And yeah, so- uh, at first, we weren't going to include them, but then we did. We, we put them back in. So, yeah. 
That's great. Well, let's talk. Yeah, let me. I, I can't. I can't not ask you a question about Africa and about your its its impact on you as a person and maybe upon your you know your ideas. But I'm I I mean I, you know I'm sure if not in Africa, maybe in Ireland or anywhere else, you've seen kind of you know where people or culture or communities or groups organizations that are you know where they're just really basking in unfairness, injustice, you know, difficult times and and whether it's in their space, their home, their work, whatever. But I'm I'm curious when you see that kind of level of of um challenge, when you see that level of kind of uh, of, of culture cha- mm. that much harm to culture, like what is there anything di- is it, what what do you advise them? Is it the, is it similar or is there is there is there something different at that point? You know, I realize there are a lot of difficult circumstances and difficult environments around the world um, where, you know, people are suffering injustices and there is a culture and and they feel pretty hopeless. And of course, you know, my heart goes out to all the folks in that situation. And in the introduction to the book, I talk about, you know, the contribution I think that we can make Mm -hmm. to the world if we start caring about culture more and caring about employees and 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 the efficacy of of, of their lives in the workplace and and, and when they're at home. Um, but you know, it's not just overseas, John. I'm just reminded that um, I actually recorded a podcast for another company yesterday that's focused in the healthcare space, and they were talking about how uh-huh. certain hospitals and doctors' offices are. <clears throat> because of the way the insurances and the payments are driven and who's pulling the purse strings there, there's a lot of poor cultures in the space of giving care to people. <laughs> Isn't that sad? And, wow. and so he was asking a lot about, about that. And so, you know, we, we have those issues here as well. Yeah, and, and my answer then was the same for you today. I think it's the same it was then. You know, I, I do believe whatever the culture, it is possible to make a con- positive contribution to that culture, and you know, if you go with the uh, with, with the with the theory of uh, of oneness, John, and the fact that we're all connected on this planet, and that we all came from the same speck of dust millions of years ago, <laughs> therefore, therefore, um, therefore, you know, th- that 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 colleague that I have that uh, that angst with in the office space. Yes is actually if i think of them actually he is my brother if i really think about it exactly yeah. and why and what what and then if i start turning my thoughts and feelings to more positive ones instead of thinking that guy really bugs me you know if i start thinking oh look you know um he's just he's my brother and why shouldn't i care for him like i do for other humans and he's probably the way he is because he's had some some difficulties in his life which i why you know i i'm going to feel sorry for that and i'm just going to feel good things i'm just going to send energy in his direction and you know what when you bump into that guy at the water cooler next time he will sense your difference he will feel different and there you started to change the world a so little true. bit if you know you've changed that energy between you two, that'll change the energy in the office as a whole. If everybody starts doing it, we start spinning in a much better direction. And so I do believe that whatever somebody's circumstances are, however bad they are, they can return to that oneness and just think and maybe maybe start to think differently and change the energy and you know change their lot in life at the same time. That would be my wish for them anyway. Well, I, lo- I also I love that you end the book on um, on measurement, 
Um, and I thought it was interesting that you ended the book on measurement because I have always believed measuring culture is notoriously hard. And of course, the example that always come to mind is this probably overquoted phrase, that phrase from David Foster Wallace about the two fish bumping into each other. And one of them says, nice water to the other, And the other one says, what's water? <laughs> and it's it's kind of like, that's what culture is, right? It's this yeah, thing that's just it? so, yes. is everywhere. It's like gravity or air or something. Mm -hmm. And you don't, we don't talk about gravity every day. So it's, it's, it's almost like I, I, found the idea of measuring that in an organization such an incredibly complicated uh, process. It seemed to me overwhelming. And yet, and yet you, um, you know, you, you give a really good approach to, to kind of measuring it. So I'm, I'm a little bit curious, uh, just your thoughts about measurement generally. And I'm, a, I'm also curious about why you put it at the end of the book when after reading it, I was like, God, this is so good. I would have loved this to be right at the beginning. Well, that's very good feedback. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think I do say right at the beginning, look, Hey guys, before, you know, before you sort of put this book down, um, you know, you can make a really small investment and get a really high return. And I will show you how to measure that at the end. But you know what I'm really yeah. asking myself about when you, you know, you've got me thinking about John is I don't really like the idea of ending on measurement, i.e. ending on, on numbers and calculations. I wish I'd right. ended the book talking about feelings <laughs> because, mm. uh, because what, you know, what is culture? What is the definition of culture? I think that's part, part of your question. And how do, we, how do we define it? And ultimately, it is about the way you feel and the way people feel in a certain environment. And if you feel safe and if you feel valued, then you're just going to enjoy your, your, yourself more. And if you're enjoying yourself more, you're going to give and you're going to perform better. So ultimately, and, and, and that's what we're trying to achieve that's in great. a great culture. We're all human beings. Let's have feelings and let's have positive feelings because you know why spend another day on on the planet when we haven't optimized feeling good about that you know what one of my gurus is uh is your cousin yes who, um i uh who often says to me who often say, who has said to so me many, he so said many wise once, things he said a thousand <laughs> He, so many wise things, but the thing he always says to me that I, I have, I still resist is he says, you know, people, when you meet with people and you're with people, people do not remember what you said to them or whether you were right, but they remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And it sounds a lot of like what you're saying. And yeah. it's so difficult to do, especially at work where it's ostensibly outcomes driven and you're, you've got this thing that you have to get done, this yeah. widget made or this software written. And I can just see where that to 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 have faith in that is has got to be a leap for a lot of people. Yes, I, I agree, and uh, we're all we're all guilty of it. But uh, <laughs> that you know it doesn't take long. Um, I you know you mentioned Africa earlier, and one of the things that that I'm trying to spread the word on amongst American corporations is how it's the old Zulu greeting of Saubona, which I'm sure you remember reading about in the, in the book mm -hmm. and ends up actually is one of the core values at my company cultures ours. Saubona meaning I see you. And mm -hmm. this idea that, uh, I'm not just giving you a casual hi as I walk by you without making eye contact in the hallway. I am actually taking, stopping and, actually taking 30 seconds to look that to look you in the eye and say hey how are you feeling today what's going on for you you know and um doesn't take long but you're right ultimately that individual will remember 
how you made them feel and will uh, relish the fact that you took those few seconds to really check in with them, uh, however busy you are. Do you have time for a couple more questions? I do. I do. Uh, I four minutes to be precise. Okay, good. Perfect. So let me, so let me, let me ask, let me ask you about your experience in the military. I saw that you were in the Marines. Yes. Uh, you know, my MBA is from the University of Chicago, which has a large number of former military. Um, you know, Amazon is kind of known for loving its, its ex-military or after post-military hires. And yeah. I'm curious about how you feel about your military experience affecting your kind of work and worldview and core values. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I, I do refer back to the, those feelings and the whole structure of leadership and uh, loyalty and all the kinds of values that run strong in the military. And, you know, Daniel Coyle wrote a, a great book called Culture, The Culture Code. And he talks about how small teams like, like Navy SEAL units and that perform and how they maintain a culture. And uh, it's kind of interesting anecdotes from that one is that um if you want to get stuff done put people in a small room working really close together because his research so shows that there's something about physical proximity to other human beings that really results in in higher performance isn't that interesting as we kind of wow yeah uh, you know take it's take unusual. down take down the cubicles take down the walls right right cut the space in half and put everybody working really close together little little desks right <laughs> Right. But he also right. talks about he also talks about the one of the most fundamental um, feelings that we all want to have is safety. And if you want to know the real difference mm. between a good culture and a bad culture, if I go into a company yeah. and nobody's willing to say anything and they're all keeping their mouths closed because that's the safest way to be around yep. here, yep. then you know that's a bad yep. culture. If if yeah. uh, in contrast, it's an it's a culture of people are ready to talk openly about personal things and about you know the business. Uh, the positive and the negative, then you know it's a healthy culture. And I bet you it's also going to be a much higher performing company. I love it. Well, let me just ask you one last thing. Well, ask question. Yeah. This was this was a major endeavor. You're doing this book. I'm curious about what you learned in the process. Oh, gosh. Um, I think what I learned is um, it definitely takes more energy, more dollars, more time <laughs> to bring a book to, to fruition. Uh, but very worthwhile because it's not just about having a book um, and having you know your message as as a great calling card for for clients potential clients, but it is a, a personal journey where you learn a lot about yourself uh, and um, you know I, I definitely think it's a great thing for everyone to do put, and, and put a little bit of yourself in, into the book. Uh, of course, all, all I'm thinking about now is how it could have made it better and what my next of book course. is going to have. And... <laughs> of course, of course, of course. And what my next of three course. books are going to be. Success breeds success. It already seems out of date to me, John. Don't don't tell the listeners. Sure. It already seems out of sure, date to sure, me. Sure, sure, sure. And I, I need sure. to write the next one. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for doing this today. I can't thank you enough. It's it's great having you. I usually end with asking if there's a, if people want to get in touch with you. What are the, what's, your, uh, what's your social media core? coordinates and where do they where should they find you yes thank you thank you well i have the oddly spelled name um but correctly spelled so culture czars uh says so culture and then czars c-z-a-r-s so culturezars.com is the website and there's a button right there where you can anybody can can hit that and get in touch with me directly uh, we, uh my email is will at 
culturesars.com. And yes, I, I am on all the social platforms as the cultures are. And I am recruiting Fantastic. more czars ah. to the sphere of culture. So that's great yes. too. Keep that out there. That's great. <laughs> yes. Well, well, th this has been wonderful. I really appreciate you giving me so much time. It was really, this is fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoy, uh, I enjoyed picking your brain. I, I, there's no, I, I love reading and absorbing and I, I was, I'm, I think the highlight for me has been discovering that the exercises were in fact the center of, or the starting point because I yeah, how about that? <laughs> enjoyed the exercises. So I encourage people to, uh, to do, to take the time and do the exercises if you go through the book. Well, you asked, you asked great questions, John. I've enjoyed the podcast and thank you so much for your your for, for your interest in the book i want to thank my guests thank everybody for listening i'd like to thank mary heinz for doing the editing ted enley for doing the music that starts and ends the podcast and i'd like to thank you for listening if you have any ideas for the podcast i am just getting going and would love to hear feedback from you if you would like to reach out to me i'm easily available on twitter on the website secondrail.com and you can certainly email me as well at johnheinz at gmail.com I hope you will join me again in a fortnight for more conversation about education and where it's going